Amen. The choir sat down. I wanted to stand up. That was so great. Thank you. Uh, I invite you to open your Bible to uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 36 to 33 to 36. That's found on page uh, 946 or 47, I think, in your, your pew Bible. We're, we're just wrapping up this long series of, of messages in, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And this is the most amazing way to end as we've just uh, had this rousing uh, hymn by the choir and then our doxology. We hear now a doxology by the apostle, just a, his own reflection. Listen now to verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that, we might, that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 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 We're looking closely at the book of Romans for well over a year now because we take following Jesus seriously. When you're following someone, it's because you can't get where you need to go on your own. Imagine if you're trying to leave Germantown and head into D.C. and being only a resident of this area for three years, I still get lost. I need to follow someone or have my GPS And you want to follow close, right? You don't want to allow five cars get between you and your friend. You want to be as close as possible. And so that's why we've been studying God's Word. Because when you don't know where you're going, you need someone to guide you. You hope to arrive in the right place, but you can't get there without help. I don't know about you, but follower is a great description of who I am. Yes, I'm, I'm a leader, I'm a leader of leaders, but spiritually, in life, in what really counts, I don't have a clue where I'm heading. So I, I've woken up to the reality that the plans that I've set for myself, they're an illusion. If I go by my own roadmap, if I say, well, here are the goals that I've set out for my life, you get to that point off in the horizon and you're nowhere, you're not anywhere. And so I need to be a follower. I need help. And that's why I'm grateful for Jesus. That he has set me and you and many of us here, maybe not all, but those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that we are on the right path. A path that he directs all of his followers to be on. And the Bible is like a trail map by which we see the world rightly and we find our way. Romans has been called many things. It's been called the greatest letter ever written. Some of us might be aware of the Roman road where you can walk through uh, passages of Scripture from Romans chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, and you can share the gospel with a friend. You can, here's a verse, and here's a verse, and here's a verse. It's also been known as the road that leads to heaven, and it is. Our close look at chapters 1 to 11 have been helping us get our bearings straight in a world that's marred by sin against the Creator, the reality of our own condition, our own rebellion. 
And then discovering the path of life that's marked out by these doctrines of grace, these great insights into the plan that God has. And as we've studied Romans, uh, we've, we've been exposed to a righteousness, a, a right way of living with God that's provided for us by the finished work of Christ on the cross. And, and as we've continued and we've, we've followed this road and, and we've stumbled along at times and it's been confusing, there's been some twists and turns, hard going because we're going up this mountain trek where others say, well, this is, that's too hard, that's too complicated. We've kept going and we've discovered indelible grace and mercy and the sovereignty of the mysteries of God. And that's why this, this next section, starting in chapter 12, is really about practical righteousness. How do we, how do we live this out? So imagine chapters 1 to 11 is like a, a trek up a mountain. We've been following this trek up to the the, the top of the mountain, we look out on the vista of where we've been, and we see all the survey of what God has revealed to us, and then we look forward. So if you still have your Bibles open, look at chapter 12, and we're going to go there in Easter, but uh, verse 1, this is uh, the version in, in the NIV, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that we've, we've covered, all this that we've covered in chapters 1 through 11, in view of God's mercy, we head over the other side, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper, your true and proper worship. That's where we're headed as we make that turn. But here we're at the mountaintop of God's revelation. This is the most comprehensive statement of the Christian faith in all of the Bible. And instead of getting more theology and more complicated and, and doctrines and question marks and, and cross-examinations from Paul who acts like an attorney sometimes. He's just moved to praise. That's what a doxology is. It's a hymn of praise. He just, he just stops and he just takes it all in. The majesty and wisdom and sweeping vision of God's riches and the heights of, the, of God's knowledge and judgment in matchless ways. And, and as I was trying to write this message ascribing glory and honor and greatness and, and power to God, I thought, you don't need a preacher. You need a poet. We need a songwriter. We need artists to try to express this beautiful scene that, that Paul must have been experiencing. And I imagine as he welled up inside to express this doxology. He, he might have told his scribe, Tertius, just stop writing for just a moment. And I imagine as a smart scribe, he did not put that, that, that writing instrument down. He's like, no, this is the good stuff. What's he going to say now? And, and, and Paul just worships, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 40 from heart, and he quotes the book of Job, to remind us, perhaps to remind himself, that no human being knows the mind of the Lord apart from revelation. As smart as Paul is, he knows that he'd be nothing, he'd be nowhere, he'd be lost without God's Holy Spirit guiding him. No one is God's advisor. We're all followers, Paul writes. Nobody has arrived yet in this life. God is the author, and, and he does as he pleases. 
in all the plans that he has for the nations, which is the immediate context of the text, but, but really in all things. God can do whatever he wants. The mysteries of God, he's revealing those. And then we come to this, this last verse of, of chapter 11. And if you're taking notes, there's, I've broken it down so you can just fill in the blank a little bit. This last verse of Paul's mapping of the gospel, and I want to focus on that just for a few moments we have where it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things to God be glory forever, amen. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, in this single verse, we find the sum and substance of the whole biblical revelation of the being and character of God. In one verse, I'm going to take 10 minutes to try to talk about one verse that is the sum and substance of the being and character of God. No small task. But the words here are loaded with significance. From him, through him, to him, all things to God's glory. Paul's doing what he set out to do from the beginning. He's, he's surveying the road by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that's leading him to follow Jesus Christ as Christ follows the Father, the one who is radically transcendent beyond our comprehension. And Paul's been given a glimpse, and this glimpse of glory generates in Paul a holy, pleasing, passionate worship. Is it any wonder that we're often bewildered and amazed by the ways of God? I've had many of you here, I'm looking out, maybe in the choir too, but over the time that we've been studying Romans, You've given me encouragement and also your questions. This is confusing, Pastor Pete. This is hard. This is interesting. I want to learn more. Is it any wonder that it's bewildering and amazing to really dig into what God has revealed to us? The mysteries of God, revealed by revelation, transcend human logic in the same way that A person who, let's imagine a person who lives in two dimensions and you try to explain to that two-dimensional being what it is to live in three dimensions. Imagine explaining to us, people that live in three dimensions, what's it like to live in a fourth or fifth or sixth dimension? How would you find words to describe that? Paul's trying to find words. But here's what he can say. Here's what he can do to describe the glimpse All things are from him. That little preposition in the Greek can be translated of him or from him. If everything is of God, it's in the sense that it's all his. Psalm 50 says, the cattle on a thousand hills are the Lord's. I don't know if you'd want to own a thousand cattle. It's a metaphor, okay? It's all his. We sing, this is my father's world. If it's of him, it's all his. All things from him means God is the source of all that is. In the beginning, God created, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and through the word, all things were created. John chapter 1, the creative agency, the creator. Now that's a little heavy and, and heady to wrap our brain around, but the New Testament speaks in at least three ways that we can experience God as the source of all things. 
The New Testament explains that all truth comes from God. And all goodness comes from God. And all that is beautiful comes from God. That's at least three ways that Scripture speaks of God. How how do we know right from wrong? How do we really know what's good and what's evil? We look at the world, we look at the stage, we see things that are happening on the other side of the, the planet, and we draw judgments. That's right, that's wrong, that's good, or that's evil. How do we know what is beautiful and what is ugly? We know because the source of all that is is God, and we are his image bearers, Scripture says. All things are from him. And all things are through him. Everything that is, be it a gazillion stars, that's an accurate number, by the way, gazillion. Gazillion stars or a bit of lint on your sleeve exists by God's activity and through his power. The word through has to do with with means by which something comes to pass. And as as we've looked at these themes, we, we can go back to chapter 8 and see how All things come to pass through the sovereign agency of God. What does that mean? Well, for me, it's a comfort. It means, quite simply, God's got this. God is in control. I was sitting with someone between services, just like making sense of a crazy situation. And what can we say? We can say, God is in this, God is present. God is in control. There is no limit to what God can do. And so Paul gets a glimpse of the glory of God, just as Peter and James and John, just as Job did, just as Moses. A dazzling light, a dazzling radiance of God, that all things are from him and through him, and third, all things are to him. Everything is moving to him. So wrap your brain around, around that for just a moment. Where, what's the point of all this? Why are we following Jesus? Why do we come to church? Why do we get dressed up and we do these things and we teach our kids, do you right and do you wrong? Well, why? Why do we point them in this direction or that direction? What's the point? What's the point of history or of the universe? In a word, the answer is God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Everything is moving in a direction to fulfill the purposes of God. And when it's all said and done, from first to last, it's all to God's glory forever. Amen. Since all things are from God and through God and for God, it follows that he deserves all of the glory. What, what does that word glory mean? Well, it's, it's a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is kavod. It literally means weightiness in reference to God's significance and value. You used to be able to tell the, the value of something by lifting it up. And if it was light, it meant that it wasn't worth a lot. But if it was heavy, maybe it was a precious metal. It, it had weight. It had volume. God is the ultimate volume on any black holes or anything in the universe. Ultimate. And so when we praise God, we are living in the manner in which we were wired and created to live. And when we follow Jesus, we can't help but praise God 
as our creator because that's what we were created to do in the first place. God desires our greatest good. What greater good is there in the universe than God himself? And so we we give glory to God, and so we are rightly praising him, and then we receive joy and blessing and God's true love all from him, the gift of his son. And he restores in us that image that was imprinted upon us when we were created. In mystery of all mysteries, he's given us his son and united us to him. You know, that analogy of trying to follow some friends to downtown doesn't quite work because it feels as though we're, we're in the car, we're switching lanes. No, no. The son, Jesus, is in the car. Hopefully he's in our driver's seat. We're not going to get lost. He's with us. He's united to us. So think of the cost that union was. He became the son of, God, of man for us so that we might become sons and daughters of God with him. He descended to earth that we could ascend to heaven. He took on morality and flesh that we might receive eternal life and relief of all of our pain. He condescends, the Bible says, to accept our weakness and then he gives us all of his strength. He was poor so he could transfer his wealth to make you and me rich. He took the weight of the cross and the Father's wrath upon himself, drank the cup to the dregs, that we might be clothed in his righteousness. We might be called to a party, put a ring on her finger, a new shoes, come to the feast. All this for you and me. We don't deserve it. He became homeless that you might follow him back to his father's house where he promises there are many rooms, right? King James, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would tell you. That's where he's leading us. Such is the truth and the beauty and the majesty God has done for us in Christ. So how do we respond? We go home and feel full. We burst out with praise. I think we could burst out with praise so much that we might sound kind of crazy to people around us. We might look a little foolish to them, but who cares? But then practically, where does this lead us? Where does a living sacrifice go from here? Well, it leads us as followers of Christ to invite others to come and follow too. And that starts by building trusting friendships with people. And I'm talking not just about your friends and your neighbors. I'm talking about the cynic in your life. Who's the cynic in your life? Who's the skeptic in your life? Who's the atheist who lives under your roof? Those are the people that God cares about enough to put you in their way. If we've learned anything from Romans, it's that we are all rebels from the start. But we build trust such such that conversations start and our friends become curious about Jesus. They see how we live at home and in community here at church and at work. They see the difference in our lives. They see meaning in our life. 
And then what do we do? Do we try finagle and finesse and maybe convince them to come to church? No. No, we pray for God to do what only God can do. Pray, Lord, that that you would give them eyes to see what is really real. Help them, Lord, to quit resisting, to lay down their cynicism, to begin to seek you, Father. And eventually, they start following, too. They become from curious to convinced. They cross over the line from wandering to being seekers to being followers of Jesus. And then we are moved to praise. We take no credit, none, but just praise to God that another one has joined the path of life. Paul's doxology proclaims the greatness of God. May we live our lives to this glorious reality. Let's pray. So God, to this glorious reality, you have given us a glimpse. You've opened our eyes that we might see. Not that we can look elsewhere anymore, but we can look just to you. Give us eyes now, Lord, to see the pain and the need in the lives and the community around us. And give us ears, Lord, to hear your instruction of how you would have us move and give us feet and hands to operate as the church, to move into the world and to witness, Lord, the reconciling work of your glory. God, we pray now in this quiet moment just to lift up prayers of concern for that cynic, that uh, skeptic, that atheist in our life. And Lord, maybe that person's here in the room. Or maybe there's a dear one that we've lost touch with that we want to just ask for your guidance of how to start up a conversation. Would you please answer that prayer right now?